You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. It's the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Welcome to Join In Bird Gang. Hope you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving. It is now going to be a Black Friday. Should be launching early in the morning. Uh, having to re-record this session since my last one apparently either went missing, was corrupted. Uh, in any case, being able to bring this out after the Thanksgiving games are done is a benefit as well. Uh, we'll be talking at least, of course, about the Cardinals versus the win over the Seattle Seahawks, the second victory under Colt McCoy. Cardinals are now in their bye week. Uh, we'll be having a couple of guests on next week to talk about the Arizona Cardinals, just what their team is holding a little bit, maybe hopefully on if Vance Joseph is projected to leave the team at all. Talk a bit about some of you know their overall expectations. Is this a team we should be focusing on as the Super Bowl favorite? Is this a team that we're talking about that needs to still prove themselves to be able to get this number one seed um, overall. And we'll be able to kind of talk about just some of the highlights of the season thus far. So let me kick it off first by talking a bit about just what we have seen from these Thanksgiving games. Obviously, these are the games from last night. So it's going to have a little bit more of a relevance as far as timing goes. Obviously, the standout game would be the Dallas Cowboys 33-36 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders, a game in which had the Cowboys dropping from a 7-3 record to 7-4 on the year. This will officially put them two games behind the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC standings. And to be quite frank, this is a bit of a boon for Cardinals fans. The original standings that we saw for the NFC West, if or I should say the NFC in general, Really focused on if the Cardinals win the NFC West, they'll have two competitors for the number one seed. The Green Bay Packers, who hold the head-to-head advantage ahead of them. And the Dallas Cowboys, who were essentially one game behind. Now the Cowboys at 7-4 and four are a game behind the Buccaneers. They're essentially behind the Rams, although could argue, at least for the most part, that the Cardinals, by playing the Rams, will hold their own destiny as far as their placement just because there's no way that the Rams can get that number one seat without being able to essentially win multiple games to surpass the Cardinals. And even in that case, the division is already locked up for Arizona at 4-0. The Rams, by losing those two games in division, essentially it almost puts the division on ice. That would push the Rams to that uh, fifth spot in the wild card. So really what it looks like as far as for Cardinals fans with this loss, you also look, of course, at the Saints losing to the Bills, Bills putting up a dominant performance, and two upcoming Cardinals opponents in the Bears and Lions. These Thanksgiving outcomes, for the most part, again, seem to just prove to me there really is one good team in the NFL. We've seen the Packers on a losing streak. Their offense look rusty with them losing to the Vikings. We've seen how some of those hits have seemed to stack up over time, and we've not seen the team been able to overcome losing their starting tight end, seeing a few of the injuries that they've taken. And overall, they still have games to play in the division as well. Cardinals are going to get to play the other two divisional games against the Lions and against the Bears. That is still upcoming this season. 
What I think that stands out to the most part is it shows every team has really been able to have at least two stinkers of a game, or in some cases, have been able to lose two straight. That's been one of the things we have not seen with the Arizona Cardinals this year. They have not lost back-to-back games yet this season. Cowboys have. Buccaneers lost two straight before winning this last week. Cardinals have not, and I think that's what isolates them as the top team so far in the NFL. Anyway, it makes the Cowboys game, for the most part, has a little bit less meaning. If the Cardinals drop that game, really, that isn't going to be necessarily straight for the Cowboys to take over. It's going to be all about that showdown with the Packers and, of course, showing off if you can hold off Tom Brady to the end of the year. But that's all to the side. Let's talk a little bit about Seahawks and Cardinals. This is a game that in a lot of ways seemed for the most part like it was going to be maybe not necessarily over as soon as it started, but it really felt like the Cardinals had the advantage from as soon as the very first drive. End up seeing how the Arizona Cardinals go up against the Seattle Seahawks and end up being able to sack Russell Wilson, I believe, twice on that opening drive, once with a blitz from Isaiah Simmons, and once, of course, from Chandler Jones, who just seems to always make a living. He's top 10 in sacks in Seattle, and he has never played a snap for their team. Just brutal as far as Seahawks fans have seen. There was many who were essentially saying, if we can't beat this team with no hop, with no Colt McCoy, we have Russ back. This is a game we're playing at home. No one's able to beat us at home. Well, things turn out a bit different for the Cardinals. We've seen this before. Arizona going up to Seattle on the road and being able to beat them. And we saw it again this last week. What was different was we got to see is plays done by a lot of guys who have not necessarily been Cardinals for very long. Zach Ertz had two touchdowns on the day. Colt McCoy, a fresh new face this year, throwing two of those touchdowns. And James Conner icing the game on a one-yard run. This was a masterwork game where if you covered the stats and said, all right, you got two quarterbacks in this game. You pick one quarterback, goes 14 to 26 for 207 yards. The other, 35 of 44, 328 yards with two passing touchdowns on the day. You're probably thinking that Russell Wilson would be the latter. No, this would be Colt McCoy, who, after a down game last week, which shows just how important the turnover battle can be. Turnovers, sacks, all of those negative types of plays. When you start them off early in the game, they really do end up hurting you. And that's what we had, at least when Rashard Penny uh, gets hurt on the first play of the game. End up seeing Russell Wilson make a little bit of magic to tie Lockett, but with those sacks that they had, Arizona then turns the ball around and has a 16-play, 82-yard drive, where they completed multiple third and sixes, completed a third and three, completed a third and ten. Rondale Mora pass over the middle uh, from Colt McCoy, completing another third and eight. They essentially were not in these first and second picking up, running up the middle. This was, in many ways... The Cardinals offense doing something that they have not done in the last two years, but being able to be inside of negative game scripts on third down and still being able to make plays. We drove down for the most part. You got to see that fun play from Colt McCoy to Zach Ertz. And then it turned into a bit of a back and forth for the most part. Arizona had a punt, another punt from Seattle. The Seahawks end up being able to get a field goal. You're talking about they running the ball with Alex Collins down the middle. And ended up having it partially because the Seahawks, I believe, ended up um, forcing an Arizona punt uh, from their own goal line, essentially. Barely got out (laughs) at their Arizona's four-yard line. Seahawks take over in good field position. 
and are able to drive down with a 25-yard pass play deep to Tyler Lockett. And what do you see? Every time a team hits, what do the Cardinals do? They respond. 13-play, 92-yard drive, puts them up 13-3. to And then you get before the half, you have a missed field goal. And this is one of the biggest storylines of the game was the Cardinals had a chance to blow this game wide open. But Matt Prater, who they said squeaked in an extra point for the most part on his first play, misses an extra point in the second drive. It's a 13 Two, three game misses a field goal and the half. Very atypical. It's probably, I think, a part of two things. One, that's been mentioned, he had a baby this last week, so not getting a lot of sleep. Things being very different, obviously. The second being, you notice that they did not have Aaron Brewer as the long snapper in this game. And Bo Brinkley was cut. This is the Cardinals' other long snapper cut after the game was done heading into the bye week. I think back to the time where I think it was going to be Cameron Canada, the long snapper for that Patriots game to start the year. Different long snapper than usual for the cards. Kicks were missed that day. And sometimes the timing, the rhythm, even the placement, all of that can play in. Sometimes you see a guy who has a low snap, the kicker ends up having to uh, be able to just adjust their leg due to the... Uh, incoming defensive linemen being able to have to adjust based on the angle. Seattle is a difficult place to kick with it being outside as well. We've seen some weird and crazy games that have happened with Seattle kickers, much less in Arizona with missed kicks. But this felt different. This felt like a kicker having a bad day. And it shows that if Matt Prater can have a bad day, then pretty much anyone can have a bad day. We've seen that from guys like Colt McCoy. We've seen bad days from Chandler Jones. We've seen that plenty. What we have not seen is we have not seen a game the Cardinals had to essentially win without, let's say they didn't have a kicker at all whatsoever. That was something that came in very, very interesting down the stretch because back and forth, the third quarter was just a malaise of bad plays. You had Arizona come out, have a five-play, I believe it was only 25-yard drive for the most part. This is due to starting with fantastic field position. Or the kickoff, at least, that went out of bounds. And Arizona, at least for the most part, picks up a huge passing play to A.J. Green. This would be one of those leaping grabs that remind you that A.J. Green, despite having one catch for four yards last week, still seems to have that high-end wide receiver two, perhaps maybe low-low-end wide receiver one ability without DeAndre Hopkins. Arizona drives down the pass and is able to essentially line up. Matt Prater hits a 53-yard field goal. And suddenly you're talking about how Arizona is in business. Then you have, I believe it was a combination of five points, five punts in a row and a missed field goal. That was where it felt like as soon as you saw that missed field goal, after a 14-play drive that was essentially to be able to put the Seahawks away, they come back at least with a quick scoring touchdown. It felt like one of those games that the Seahawks just love to steal. You talk about this as a game they should have. No reason to be down, no reason to be behind, no reason to be barely hanging on. And somehow they just happen to make a few clutch plays. Russ gets out of the pocket. Someone forgets to cover Lockett downfield. Metcalf makes an incredible grab. And all of a sudden it's 16-13 and suddenly Seahawks take over. But you then get to see whenever the Cardinals have had issues, this team has a killer instinct and has known how to close. With one exception, the Packers game being the one game where A.J. Green turns around, they close it out, they're able to win. But whenever they've been with their back against the wall, this team has come up big. A 10-play drive that they had going down that essentially drove the game all the way down 
to the very end. They score a touchdown, James Conner on a one-yard run. Big, huge penalty on Jamal Adams for defensive pass interference. The pass to Zach Ertz right down at from third and goal at the Seattle Four. And that essentially put the game away. Now, could the Cardinals have still been able to maybe make a defensive stand? Sure. Sure, absolutely. But at that point, it's two minutes and 20 seconds left. You've already had to see the Seahawks be able to use timeouts. Arizona's even used timeouts. And there's just not enough time left. James Conner runs it in, 10-point difference. And the Seahawks go out of downs right immediately after that. And it is essentially the game managed, but managed well. I think that's one of the things that we want to talk about as far as for what did the Cardinals do well as far as within this game? Who were some of the stars? We talked a bit about Matt Prater here. Obviously, one of the other guys that should stand out to me here is Zach Ertz on the offensive side. 88 receiving yards. Again, 12 shy of the Cardinals finally getting that monkey off their back of the 100 yards receiving game by a tight end, something they do not have in their franchise history. You got to see Colt McCoy, essentially, in my opinion, and his legs be an MVP. There was multiple missed um, sacks that he prevented by being able to use that mobility. And while he did take a few sacks that were in the background, there was also some plays where he essentially took some read option plays. I even said that Cliff has basically ran plays for Colt like you would have expected for Kyler Murray. And it worked because no one would have pictured that Colt McCoy is just going to be taking up on a quarterback draw up the middle. It was an incredible call to get a clutch first down on one of the last drives. Essentially put the game away. It showed the amount of not just trust that Kingsbury has in his players, but just trust and faith in this air raid system as well that he runs. AJ Green, of course, came up big. You know, four catches, 78 yards. You also saw, I think, an interesting and crazy stat. The Cardinals... A trend of fumbles being lost continued. There were four fumbles that essentially the team had. Zero of them were lost. Three of those were essentially recovered by Colt McCoy. One, of course, charged to Rodney Hudson just for a low snap. And at some point, you would think that this fumble luck for the Cardinals would change. That's one thing that I think you can look at as a caution is if the Cardinals go back down, they play a game, and you're like, man, what happened in this game? Kyler threw no picks. Cardinals end up going at least maybe took on a team like the Colts at home. Why did they lose this game? Maybe looking at the fumbles might be a harbinger of one of the ways you can beat this team because fumbles can be a bit meticulous. Sometimes you fall on them and it's no issue. Sometimes you start to fall on them and then it gets punched out. Someone else happens to pick it up. That's just the way that it goes. Fortunately, it did roll for the Cardinals this way. Rondell Moore had an interesting game. He had 11, 11 receptions, led the team in receptions, but did not lead them in receiving yards. He had only 51. So imagine when 11 catches, 51 yards, that is less than five yards per catch. He's getting targeted behind the line a lot. He's still getting, obviously, passing plays that are there. You're still seeing him being able to get downfield, but his longest catch and run of the day was only 11 yards. That's showing you that this is a guy who's making his living behind the line of scrimmage. Now, I love to see them be able to target him more downfield, but as of right now, we've seen even on the plays such as the one to Zach Ertz over the middle, Utilize a bit of eye candy, have more go in the backfield. Cardinals have typically done some swing passes out to him. You know, you kind of get some misdirection, get everyone looking to the left of the line. Rondale runs over to the right with a little bit of maybe either jet sweep or jet motion. Toss the belt to him. He just has to make one man miss. Boom, picks up about 10, 11 yards on a first down. Cardinals instead 
played it perfectly by faking that to him. Protection holds up great for Colt McCoy. Jamal Adams gets ready, sees, about to bite, say, all right, I'll go up and get Rondale here. That's the play you make is your safety. Safety is the ones who end up usually making those open field tackles. So that way you can trust your cornerbacks to be on those receivers. And it basically puts him into no man's land. Either you cover Ertz or you have to look out and cover the possibility of more. And Ertz ends up being open over the middle for a huge catch and a first down. This is just fantastic game planning by Cliff Kingsbury. Now, the other player who obviously stood out, I think, in this game that can't be avoided is one guy who's a fresh new face and one guy who's been there for a long time. Those would be Isaiah Simmons and Chandler Jones. Jalen Thompson, of course, is the guy who had the pass defensed and played extremely well. There's a pass breakup we even saw, I believe, with one of him and then one of Marco Wilson with DK Metcalf way down the field. I think Isaiah Simmons was the one who was more impressive. Not just having the one sack, he moved from his typical linebacker position into that inside role. We did not see Zayvon Collins, despite the IR designation for Tanner Blair, we did not see Zayvon Collins all game. Now, does this mean that he's losing trust of the staff? I don't think so. Does it mean that he's hurt? I think that's part of it. We have still not seen him get a lot of snaps since the Packers game. And, of course, as soon as Tanner Vallejo gets some more snaps, maybe gets a starting role, he gets hurt, which has been, unfortunately for Tanner, that's been kind of the pattern we've seen. He's just a little bit small and a little bit less injury, a little more injury prone than you would prefer to see from a guy despite unfortunately earning some of those snaps in the practice time i think that he's at his best as a depth player who can come in and spell guys for a bit especially in case of injury but isaiah simmons stands out because he flexes away from his typical position into that more traditional linebacker role that we've seen zavin and vallejo be able to rotate through he comes up with six tackles two of them solo had a sack and even a tackle for loss plus another quarterback hit in the process he was putting up the numbers that we've expected a player like the caliber of Isaiah Simmons to put up. Now, even amidst all that, he did not get NFC Defensive Player of the Week awards. Right for that, go to Chandler Jones with four solo tackles, two sacks, two sackles for loss, and three quarterback hits on the day. He is essentially probably going to push Russell Wilson out of the division single-handedly to another team because the Seahawks team right now, they look like how we've seen Cardinals teams... And I'll give a comparison here. When you look at the 2017 Arizona Cardinals, this is a team that you kind of could tell was in their final years of the Bruce Arians-Carson Palmer experience. Arians said, I'm going to ride off into the sunset with Carson. Everyone believed it. We have seen that it took Tom Brady <laughs> a lot of money to be able to break him back. But that was a team where that year... Palmer had been around for quite a while. We'd already seen that magical 2015 season come and go. We'd seen how in 2016, the team had a top 10 offense, top 10 defense, and a 31st-ranked special teams. Now, that, that top 10 offensive designation probably is also a bit misleading. Michael Floyd and John Brown were not healthy the majority of the season. It was essentially Palmer tossing the ball to Larry Fitzgerald and David Johnson, who had, like, over half of the team's production when it came to receiving and rushing especially rushing yards on the year. You could tell the Cardinals were basically going to either try to get one more big push or they were going to have to hit the reset button, send everything around, go and get your new coach, get your new quarterback. They chose to instead bring it back for one more year. Gosh, it feels like it was one of those years that was painful to watch because you're watching Carson Palmer 
go out and get you know hurt, get poor protection on a Monday night football game against the Cowboys. You're watching even that Rams game where they lost 33 to 0 and it just feels like all right. Arians is not able to really do anything against Sean McVay and this defense. Carson Palmer looks like he's just not the same guy he was before. He looks like he kind of either needs a fresh start or, and as we saw it, needed retirement. And we saw kind of how it felt like things were just about ready to break up. Things were not working. There was maybe not dysfunction in the organization, but it really felt like this was a team that was not on the same page when it came time to change their era from the era of Arians and Palmer to the new era, maybe an era of Betcher and Mahomes, Betcher and Watson. They did not seem to want to embrace that change. They thought we can make it work for one more year. That's what I think we've seen from Seattle thus far. We've seen how the Seahawks, in a lot of different ways, have been trying to figure out the balance of Russell Wilson and a decrepit defense and an offensive line that simply is not NFL caliber at odds with a head coach who fired a blight coordinator last year because they weren't running the ball enough. Bring everything back this year, and you suddenly see it feels like this tension between Russ having to play hero ball all by himself and the Seahawks simply trying to run the ball with a bad offensive line with no Chris Carson and being unable to do so. This is a team where Seahawks fans, I think, are looking at what maybe is not the end times, but it's certainly the end of the era because the talent that we have on this team and what Russell Wilson has used and needed to work has just not been there. He's got a finger injury that's been added. A lot of those sacks have added up. He still obviously has some of that same speed, but there were some passes in the end zone that just were missed. There were passes that normally you would see him be able to kind of make a move and then find someone downfield or make a play from the pocket. The offensive line wasn't protecting. There were times where he escaped sacks. It would seem like he would throw and he would throw short or throw and miss a guy. It did not feel like the Seattle Seahawks that we have seen, the Seattle Seahawks of the past, that were always able to hang around and pull ahead and somehow will themselves to victory. I think it'll spend the spell the end for Pete Carroll. Pete, at his age and his time frame, he is not the right coach for this team moving forward. I don't know if that means that Russ will simply go back and look at his list of who are the competitors. I don't know. Maybe, you know, he mentioned the Saints. As far as trade, he mentioned a team like the... Oh, gosh, it's going to drive me crazy. Uh, I was right there. Saints, obviously, were mentioned. Mentioned a team like the Raiders. Because they had a great line. Well, <laughs> it's a little bit different, at least for that. Fortunately, they were able to have enough of an offensive line performance to help Derek Carr and the Raiders steal one over the NFC rival Cowboys. <laughs> Obviously, the Broncos are a team that's been in play. But you would think, at least for the most part, that Russ is going to be trying to look at either a spot near the Giants or another place. But even if he does end up leaving for the most part, I could think there's a good chance that he could simply stay and want to try to take over a little bit more control of that team. And in that regard, Cardinals fans, we may have to be looking at this. Is, is this going to be a potential future where you look at Kyler Murray years down the road, eight years from now, he'll be 32. Will his body still be the same? Will he still be making those same caliber throws? Will the defense still be up to par? These are all, I think, great questions. Right now, thank goodness, we don't have to worry about any of these one bit. We're worrying about, as Cardinals fans, is the next game ahead. We're talking about that after this break here, the game after the bye, what the Cardinals should be expecting after the bye. Will we see Kyler and Nuke back for the team? And what should the expectation hope be for J.J. Watt? 
That'll be here on this last part of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're back on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Just took a quick look, at least as far as my notes. There was a person I skipped over as far as a top-notch player. And that would be Robert Alford, who continues to go out. Obviously, statistically, corners don't see a lot. But being able to at least put a clampening down where neither DK Metcalf nor Tyler Lockett were able to beat you. Uh, Lockett maybe was the closest thing that the Seahawks had to a guy who could have four catches, 115 yards. But they kept him out of the end zone. A big deal as far as that is concerned. And a lot of that also being just due to the fact that Alfred, as a scrappy physical player, was able to make plays without necessarily having to be two hands you're getting a flag pulled. That's something that I think at least you can say is in a huge plus for the Cardinals this season. If he were to go down, it would be a tremendous loss for the corners. Uh, now let's continue at least for some of the discussion about where the Cardinals can go from here. So currently the Arizona Cardinals at 9-2 and two are on top of their division. They're leading by at least two games, including... A half game from direct head-to-head winning over the St. Louis Rams, which probably turned out to be one of the biggest games of the year that we didn't see coming or did not realize is that it was, oh, it's not going to be the home game against the Rams. That's the Monday Night Football that got to win that one. It's the away game that is counted because it has held the Cardinals essentially ahead of the Rams every single step of the way to the point that their loss that they had, at least in Sunday, really did end up showcasing that this is probably a bit more of an average team than we've thought. Now, the Cardinals, of course, will play the Rams on December 13th, but before that, they'll play the Chicago Bears. We've had that Justin Fields, their quarterback, is a rookie who has seemingly gotten some of his legs behind him, but has not gotten great protection, has not gotten great play calls, has not seemed to got a scheme that fits his skills quite yet under Matt Nagy. He's questionable. So you're going to have Andy Dalton, the same Andy Dalton that the Cardinals hung, 38 points on his Dallas Cowboys. They could only put up 10 a year ago. This is an early morning game. It's going to be at Soldier Field in December. Things are probably going to be pretty cold. Now, the next week, of course, they have the Rams on Monday Night Football National Game. People are going to be crazy for that because it's not just going to be a National Light Sunday Night Football game. This is the only football game they're going to have for the day. This is the last football game of the week. And, of course, it's a home game at State Farm Stadium. You then have some of the most important games of the season coming up, at least, uh, in terms of what the Indianapolis Colts, a Christmas home games that will be on a short week. And then Sunday, obviously, the Cowboys, who are right now two games behind the Cardinals, at least. You'll have a chance head-to-head with them. Perhaps a little less important now that they've lost that one game to the Raiders. Then end of the season, that Seattle Seahawks game. I think the two games that stand out here, in my opinion, are the Rams, obviously, and the Colts, who've been able to get fumble luck, who've kind of been able to seemingly come together a bit more as a team. It's an out-of-division rival. It's an out-of-conference rival. Question is, if you drop one of these games to a team that allows the Bucks to pick up or allows the Packers to get even with you and sneak ahead, that's one of those cases where it's going to feel a little like the one that got away, especially if it turns out to be a team like the Packers at a cold Lambeau field. In January, because we get to talk playoffs now. This is a nine and two team. If the Arizona Cardinals were to lose four of their next games and still win one, not only will they finish with a winning record, but at ten and six, they'd essentially be a playoff lock. 
Now, it's not a magic number just yet. If they lose every single game at 9-7, and seven, I'm sure there's enough teams that are left there right now that could win all the rest of their games and get in. But you might be just a week or two or maybe even two or three teams losing away from being the first team in the NFL to enter the postseason. So let's go ahead. We'll have more people on to preview the Bears game, at least for that next week, and talk about But I did want to at least talk a little bit about what can we expect from the Cardinals coming back from the injury report. So we get some news, at least on Sunday, Kyler Murray having what was called now a medial ankle sprain. So it's not a high ankle sprain, the full six weeks, or having to be cautious not playing through. Sometimes that can be more of a lingering injury where it can be more of a six weeks to play, eight to 12 to feel fully right. And when you're playing on that ankle, you can re-aggravate it or hurt it again easily. This is something where I think the Cardinals recognize that they have an opportunity to get to the bye and get through. And I think that opportunity was fully realized. They did it. Colt McCoy went out and walloped the 49ers. <laughs> His owner was like, all right. You know what, that, that, that kind of puts it. This Niners team is probably still going to be a playoff team. We've seen since then that they've beaten some difficult opponents and beaten the, the Rams, for crying out loud. But I think the Cardinals realize, oh, all right, we, we can win games with Colt McCoy. A lot of times, I worked for the Arizona Rattlers one year. They had a backup quarterback to Nick Davolo, who was essentially one of the best Arena Football League quarterbacks that we've ever seen. He was a left-hand quarterback, won multiple titles, Hold still, I'm sure, passing records that you have. And this is a spot where they said, hey, with our backup, we know that he's not as good. He's obviously, there's no way you're replacing a league MVP of that caliber. But we have full confidence in him that if he goes down, we can play and rally around him and win. he can win us a championship. He's good enough to win us a championship. And I think it's that same feeling that you have with Colt McCoy. Sometimes you say that, I think, because, like, oh, yeah, we got all the confidence in the world with this player. Really behind the scenes, and they know, all right, this, this, this isn't going to work for that one. But if we just say that straight up, then we're going to lose every game the rest of the year. you got to have our guys have a reason to fight. I think there is a legitimacy of this with Colt McCoy. That they legitimately think, hey, if he goes down, you know what? We've seen all of our team. Maybe there's going to be some issues or struggles. But at the day like today, he should be able to go out there. If we can keep him clean, if we can avoid those turnovers, then we can at least go out there as the Cardinals, and our team is just simply better. And that's how it goes this year. The talent... The coaching, the game planning we've seen from Cliff Kingsbury and Vance Joseph. The Cardinals have been able to especially come up in the clutch in these situations where the other team has a chance. Are they going to come back? And Arizona, we've seen, has just been able to put them away. But with the media uncle injury to Kyler Murray, I think you're going to be seeing him come back, not just healthy, but I think back to the 2014, maybe at least for that one, I think it's maybe a few years later for that one, it's maybe the 2000, and so following the 2015 season, no, no, this is correct, 2015 season. Sorry, my brain was thinking through. This is the year where the Carolina Panthers went to the Super Bowl, obviously beating the Arizona Cardinals in the NFC Championship game, get walloped by a Denver Broncos team that's defense, essentially won the game for them. A couple of key passing plays from Peyton Manning, and boom, he gets his second ring, redeems himself, finally doesn't have to have his longer brother lord something over him. But going into that year, Peyton Manning looked like he was done. Like, he got to hang it up and walk off into the sunset, but he was leading the league in pick sixes. Not just interceptions, but he was also leading the league in pick sixes. Ones that were terrible, awful throws that were just getting read by defenses, jumping the routes, running them back. There's nothing they could do about it. 
He gets hurt during that season. Brock Osweiler comes in for a stretch of games. And when Peyton came back, it almost looked like the arm was rejuvenated. Not to the level it had been. It was like that 2013 season where he threw for 50 touchdowns. But it was rejuvenated just enough that he was able to lead that Broncos offense. That was a loaded offense at the time to an AFC title game. And from that, the defense put the clamps down on Tom Brady, were able to get pressure with four, maybe even three guys, were able to prevent Rob Gronkowski from going off, and by getting to the Super Bowl. And I wonder how much of the Arizona Cardinals, not to say that they're copying that, but to think, Kyler Murray, at least from the time that he last played, was October 24th. When we look at the next time he's going to play, it would be December 5th. There's going to be approximately 48 days on the calendar in between the last two times he's played. Now you say 48 days of calendar, that, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And part of it comes because of the mini-buy after that Thursday night football game and the bye week that you're going to have before the Cardinals are going to play the Bears. It's a long time. It's almost seven weeks of real-life work. Because 48 days, seven days a week, you do the math. It's pretty close. It's like, how in the world is that like even a thing? And you say, well, if this was a medial ankle injury that the Cardinals were able to say, hey, this is what... I'm, we can go ahead, got to get to that bye week. For the most part, we've seen Colt. We're good enough to kind of get to the bye week. Let's go ahead and plan on that. Bidding that amount of rest. Something that could, I think, bode very well for the Arizona Cardinals because you rarely get to see quarterbacks who are playing at an MVP caliber level miss 48 days and then come back and still potentially be likely in that MVP conversation. And why is that? Well, it's because the Cardinals structured as far as whether it was the timing or luck of the injury or how they managed to use it. While Kyler misses about six weeks or so as far as for that play, it's only going to be three games worth. Yeah, you can think of that again. There should be six weeks worth at least. It's not quite seven. It's six weeks that you're missing at least of Kyler Murray. And it doesn't matter. Because the bye week and the mini bye meant you only had three weeks and three games to cover. And that is fantastic. Because it means that you're able to get your star quarterback rest. You're able to bring back, hopefully, DeAndre Hopkins. And I do think at least the expectation they said is Hopkins will come back. I'm a little more confident in Kyler coming back than I am Hopkins. Kyler, it felt like after the first two weeks were done, sure, did he practice? Everyone's like, oh, man, like you lost this game. You got to go out. I said I thought they could win, you know, with... The likes of, even if there was their third-string quarterback, that the Cardinals could beat this bad Seahawks team. Didn't mean that they would. But I felt confident that they could. And when Colt McCoy went out, you're like, oh, all right. Kyler's going to rest. Injury's been pretty bad. What I think Cliff Kingsbury has done is played Kyler just enough through practice, being limited, that they're able to not have to put him on short-term IR. Now, if the Cardinals had to put him on short-term IR and Colt McCoy gets hurt, then suddenly you're you're basically a competing team that's Chris Trevelinger at Maybe in some aspect you had been able to say, all right, Colt gets down, the ACL is there, Kyler, can can you come back maybe a week or two early? We'll just manage things around, run the ball a lot, try to keep you upright. I think instead you've been able to see everything kind of go the Cardinals' way here as far as for their covering from the injury. Now, as for when it comes to DeAndre Hopkins, that's going to be an interesting question because Hopkins has missed that same amount of time. And yet Kingsbury has been much, much more confident that Kyler Murray would seemingly come back than Hopkins. Now, maybe some of that is a bit of bluster. It's very possible that Cliff was like, hey, we're practicing Kyler. He's going to be close. We'll see how it goes before pregame warm-ups. And instead, it turns into, 
yeah, we're, we're still going to be resting him for the most part, at least, just to get through this bye week. And we've been keeping him in practice limited so that defenses had to game plan for me. <laughs> had to game plan for both Colt McCoy and for Kyler Murray. But I think at least with Hopkins, there's some concern I have about the hamstring. Hamstring injuries can linger. We saw Larry Fitzgerald when he missed his last game last year. And you're like, you know, Fitz always plays like he'll never miss games. It was a hamstring that was the reason that he missed. And with a guy like Hopkins, there's at least a bit of knowledge of, you know, there's some, whether it's weight or load bearing, he can put up with at least times where he'll practice or not practice. Not even necessarily due to, oh, I don't practice because of this or that. Or It's just trying to make sure that he can manage the strain that goes onto his body and manage it well. And that's where I wonder if it's going to be possible. Kyler comes off of IR, but we're not quite sure. Or I should say not IR. Comes back, but I'm not quite sure about Hop. And, of course, at that point, he would have to essentially go under the short-term IR. There's an activation window, a time period for Hopkins. He'd have to go in. That's something we'll have to watch and see. But it would be one of the things as far as for causing concern is we've seen A.J. Green. We've seen Christian Kirk. We've seen Rondale Moore step up. We've seen the impact of Zach Ertz. But this is a different team when Hopkins is on the field. This is a team when, when there are no options left. When the team is blanketing you, they're getting pressure. They're hitting you either with blitz or just being able to drop back seven and get pressure with three. Whenever teams are winning it their way, there's always been a moment this season when Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins have been able to connect and make a big play and get Arizona right back on track for a win. That's why Hopkins, I think, is one of the most important players for this type of Cardinals run to bring back. And it's also why I'm very curious as to just some of the definitiveness, some of the areas, some of it just feels like there's something not quite right. And hopefully it's not something as simple as he's playing through a torn hamstring or trying to get back and then things have been worse. Hopefully it's not one of those J.J. Watt-type injuries that's worse than you first thought it would be. I think that eventually that will be no very quickly next after the bye week. If he ends up not practicing Wednesday, no sweat. Doesn't practice Thursday, no sweat. He doesn't practice Friday, now it's going to be time to sweat a little bit. But I think the Cardinals, even if they have to, they can overcome that loss. I don't know if they can win a championship necessarily without Hop. He is just that valuable player talking about top three, maybe even the best wide receiver in the game. Now, the other player you'll get back, and this is probably what might be a bit scary, is the Cardinals have not really been able to see what we called their designated starting defensive line pretty much the entire year, unfortunately. Jordan Phillips is hurt to start the year. You end up seeing Corey Peters get signed by the team late. J.J. Watt comes in. Chandler Jones misses time due to COVID. And Marcus Golden, of course, is on the other side of the field with Dennis Gardeck in kind of a relief role. Really, the starting four or even five for the Cardinals is supposed to be a combination that we would have wanted to see of but Chandler Jones on one side, Marcus Golden on the other. You end up looking at kind of either your nose or your DT. Right at the middle is Jordan Phillips. And then you're going to be able to look at the guy that's going to be next to him. is going to be J.J. Watt. And that should be your starting four. What we've seen instead for the Cardinals is we saw Jordan Phillips not get activated off of IR up until just a couple weeks ago, and he already has had a bit of a pep. Now, he's a big guy, 330 pounds. His health has always been something that we've not really been able to see in Arizona, but we've seen some of the impact, especially in Vance Joseph's defense, he's been able to make. We got to see Chandler Jones miss time, at least, or we got to see him and Watt together for the first few games of the season. 
but we did not get to see that for the Cleveland game with Jones missed due to COVID. Marcus Golden has played steady through it all. But the idea was simply that on third down, you're going to rush those four, an upfield penetrator who's 330 pounds of Jordan Phillips with 300-pound J.J. Watt next to him. And then you got Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden flying off the edge. That is a nightmare for any quarterback to have to figure out. And then you can blitz like crazy, too. That's the whole thing. That's the whole point of this defense. And when, instead of having J.J. Watt, we've had Zach Allen, who's been in that place, and he's been playing well. You've seen him bat down some passes, get penetration into the backfield. We've seen a bit of how Vance Joseph's three technique, this is kind of the defensive tackle, lines up on a guard, is going to get these one-on-one type of matchups. We've seen how this can work. We've seen the ability for Jordan Phillips and Zach Allen to make plays. Allen especially is finally, for the first time, healthy. But it's still not quite the same. As you're watching J.J. Watt, who is putting together, arguably, a defensive player of the year type of performance for Arizona, even though he didn't have very many sacks to start the year. Whether it was the swats, the penetration, the fact that quarterbacks were just getting out of some of those different sacks, he felt like that he would have come down with one or two. And this is why I think, at least if you're the Cardinals, the importance of getting that week one by is huge. Now, privately, maybe you could look at it and say, mm, Cardinals are better on the road. Maybe you want to get the number two seed just so that way you don't have to worry as much. But, oh, maybe you want to, maybe it's better if they kind of go on the road the whole time. I don't, I don't know, guys. I think that you want to try to strive for that one seed. And specifically, the reason why it's for is because if you can have J.J. Watt come back, and I think he will, he'll push as many buttons as he can and push as much as he can to get back in, knowing that this is a special Cardinals team that he can be a part of and helping make what may be at least a huge playoff run. That's something that you want to get that number one buy for because then that gives J.J. Watt an extra week to come back. I don't know if J.J. will be ready by the end of the season for the playoffs. I have a hankering that he'll be back if the Cardinals get that bye week and they get to play a team that's coming off of hopefully at least a hard-fought struggle to then play the top Cardinals team that gets back J.J. Watt that has these healthy and rejuvenated players and Kyler and Hopkins finishing out the year. Just the emotional appeal of having a guy like that on the sideline who's lining up a team going, all right, guys, this is it. We lose this game. We go home. That's it. We talked 1-0 all season. Now it actually is 1-0. If we finish 0-1, then we are done. Having not just that type of leadership on the sideline, but having just the passion, all of the wherewithal of having him back, being able to have potential for sack dances that you have, of being able to have the potential of seeing number 99 out there making plays, it'd be huge. It'd be huge. And that's why the Cardinals, I think, while they're already maybe in the playoff spot, while they're already there, I don't think that you can let up at all. I think that Watt would be back for sure in that second week of the playoff series. I'm not sure about if week one, if the Cardinals get the number two seed and have to play, I'm not quite sure he'll be back there yet. Again, I don't know anything, no inside info, but it's just a hankering about the type of caliber player Watt is, the timing of the injury, the way that it's been developed. You kind of have the feeling, at least with J.J. Watt, he's made these type of, not quite superhuman, but these crazy recoveries before. I think that's something you have to push for as a Cardinals fan. And that will then be at least wrapping it up. So what we've gone through at least is we've gone through the games. We've gone through the first ultimately, I guess you could say almost, not quite, but just under two-thirds of the season. Cardinals have hit their bye week. Now is the time for them to get healthy, to relax a bit, hopefully stay a little bit out of trouble. Not the off-field type of trouble, but more of just the 
coming back and playing the Bears without two offensive linemen due to COVID type of struggle. These are the things, at least, that I think championship teams will show. It'll also be, I think, another feather in the cap for when Cliff Kingsbury, who by beating the Bears can prove that he can win games out of the bye. Something that he and the Cardinals have struggled with the last two years under his tenure. That being said, they've also struggled quite a bit just to win games in that stead. And this year, we're finally getting to see some of the hard work that they've poured in. And some of those games that weren't going their way back in 2019-2020 have been going their way in 2021. And not just in these close games, but in a huge, tremendous, blow-you-out-by-10-points-on-the-road type of way. That'll wrap that up for me here on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Again, make sure that you're tuning in following. We'll have plenty of content over the bye. Just had a recent article published on Cliff Kingsbury and some of the impact guys, and I went and called some of them out, Guys like Skip Bayless, there were guys like uh, Stephen A. Smith. Some of those guys you obviously are going to be controversial, but there's a bunch of others with Emmanuel Acho and more who essentially had some of the worst Kingsbury takes looking back. Now, maybe they seem realistic at the time. And maybe perhaps we're all thinking that Cliff Kingsbury, at least for the most part, is something that what seems plain to see now really wasn't plain from 2019 to 2020 in a lot of different ways. Uh, going over that article of just how Cliff got here and some of the other areas of the team, as well as Thanksgiving. Uh, this year, there's plenty of things to be thankful for, obviously. You know, there's Black Friday deals. You, know, you guys who want to go out and, you know, bite someone over a $99 4K TV for the most part, you can do that this year. Congrats. This is kind of the time of getting back into a little bit of society. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with your family. Again, make sure everyone's staying safe, at least throughout the holidays. And I hope that you, at least in yours, are able to have a wonderful holiday season as we now start the hopefully the happiest time of the year because next time the cardinals will be playing it'll be december football and that ultimately is the closest thing that you'll get to january football and that is the only football as we know in the nfl really counts thanks for tuning in that's been the rotv pod talk back next week with two shows during the bye week take care everyone